Well, good morning, church. You guys are looking very good this morning. Uh, thanks for joining us in person here and also to those online. Uh, let's pray together before we dive into the word. Father, uh, we thank you, God, for your grace and for your goodness and for your mercy. And at this moment, God, as a church, whether we're gather, gathering virtually or here in person, God, we're united under the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And may we just submit ourselves to your word this morning. So may you uh, clear our hearts uh, and, and, and get rid of anything, Lord, that may uh, block us from understanding you. Uh, give us minds to uh, comprehend and ears to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so welcome uh, this, this morning to our series again. Uh, we are continuing our series on the letter to the Romans, the power of the gospel. And this is week 14 already uh, of 24. Uh, so we've been going through into the book or letter to the Romans uh, quite deeply, but also not deep enough, which is why we are studying in life groups and getting into the word, because we need to uh, understand and really get into the details of what God is speaking over us. Now, last week, uh, the focus was more on God's sovereignty. We talked about the question, we asked the question of what's the intersection and the connection of human sovereignty and, uh, uh, sorry, God's sovereignty and human uh, responsibility. So last week was mostly on God's sovereignty, how he is good, he's just, he's merciful, and he knows what he's doing, and we can believe and place our faith in him. Now, Paul pivots this week into the, the, the role of human responsibility. What is our action in this? Like, what is our response uh, to this? And there's a real challenge for us today, uh, if you call yourself a Christian, is how to be Christian without being religious. Because it's very possible to be religious without being Christian. That it's possible to live out the ways of the law, as he's going to talk about here, ways of the, uh, live out the ways of Scripture, what we believe God is calling us to do, and actually not believe, and actually not have a faith. And in chapter 10 here, if you caught on into the reading uh, that Matthew did for us beautifully there, right, righteousness is a key word that repeats time and time and time again in chapter 10. And righteousness means a right standing, uh, not by what you have done, uh, but it's a right standing with God as a result of God's work in you, uh, God's justifying work with you, in you, through the person of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I would hate for us as a church to be pursuing this righteousness on our own terms, thinking what is best for us, pursue this righteousness and miss out entirely on that relationship with Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about here in chapter 10, that they're pursuing this righteousness so hard and so full on that they miss out the whole point of it altogether. So I'm titling the message this morning, Don't Miss the Point, that as, as, as we follow Jesus, that we won't miss the point of this faith altogether, that we'll enjoy the fruits of a relationship with God and not just live through it and do it just for the sake of, of doing it. And for some of us, we've traded uh, this, uh, um, this relationship with Jesus uh, with some other things. Maybe it's a pursuit of our career and status, and we think that's what's going to make us seem right in the world. Instead of a righteousness viewed from God is a righteousness viewed from the world. That if I pursue this career, if I have the status, if I have a certain standing in the world, then I will be viewed rightly by people. Uh, but what if the reason we're feeling strained in our everyday and the tiredness that we have, we're feeling strained instead of the freedom, it's because our faith has been misplaced. It hasn't been on an understanding of who this Jesus is and the relationship he calls us to, but it's, uh, for us, we feel tied to the rules. Uh, we feel tied to living out the law and just to these regulations. That's our way of understanding the Christian faith. Paul starts off this uh, section, uh, chapter 
9, verse 30 to 33, talking about how the Jewish people, they were seeking to work out their relationship with God. Not with a relationship with God, understanding it that way, but through the law. That they understood that if I lived out the law, then that is all that's needed of me. That's my way of attaining righteousness. But the law was never meant to save. It was only meant to reveal. It was meant to reveal our shortcomings, meant to reveal our, short, uh, our brokenness, and meant to reveal our need for, for God. So Paul says here, in, right in the beginning of, of verse, uh, in verse 30, he says this, What shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness has, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As I'm reading this, and maybe for you right now, you're thinking about this, it, it is what does it look like to pursue our righteousness? A righteousness by faith and not by works. What does it look like when I'm, I, I'm stumbling? Or what does it look like when I'm actually living a righteousness by works? And many of us have mistaken working for our own righteousness with having a relationship with Jesus. That we, when we get into that, what that means, like we're mistaking working for our own righteousness with having a relationship. Like we think we're having a relationship with God when actually we're trying to work out our own salvation. And we try to grind it out ourselves because working for our, our salvation comes in different ways. Even though we know it's a faith in Jesus alone, that only Jesus saves, our motives and why we do what we do might reveal something entirely different. Uh, believing with faith isn't just for those at the beginning of the faith journey. For all of us, no matter this is your first day of calling yourself a Christian or the 50th year and beyond, that every single day, it's a, it's, it's a choice by us that we need to decide that we need to live by faith every single day. It's not a decision that I've made so long ago that I put my faith in Jesus at that point, but it's a decision we need to make every single day. Because this is important. What, what you use to fight in life, what you use as your weapon to, to live through life and fight the everyday noise that we go through matters. After all, I, I think what the Apostle Paul's arguing here is that if we're not fighting with faith, then what are you fighting with? If you're not fighting with faith in your life, then what are you fighting with? If you don't have faith in this life, you're really going into this gunfight with a knife, as the saying goes. I think that's how it goes. But what's a good way of telling if you're working for your own righteousness? I think a question I've had asked myself this week is, uh, when I ask this question, what do you think about it? If I asked you this, one way to know is this. Like, when I tell you, if I ask you to go and have more faith, what is the first thing that you think about? Go and have more faith. And I, I think if the, the issue is, if we think, we naturally, if we attribute that to doing more, I think that's an issue. If every time you read scripture and it says, have more faith and follow God, and you automatically connect that to doing more, I think that's an issue here. And I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is addressing in the people of Israel and also to us here today. Because after all, that's a problem. Like how much more is enough, right? Uh, how much work is enough? There's always more to be done. There's always more work. And if you're going to trust in yourself and if you're going to trust in what you can do, you are going to get tired because we're, we're human. We're finite. You will get disappointed because I've been there. And depending on my own strength, I've disappointed 
myself. But when we say have more faith, biblically, it means to put your trust more into Jesus. To rely on him, to understand him, to lean on him and not on your own understanding, but to trust in who this God is. I'm not sure you ever had this question or uh, you feel perplexed by this, that how is it possible that the people of Israel missed the Messiah altogether? But often we would just blame them. They're like, well, Jesus came right in your midst and you, you, you missed him altogether. Like, shame on you, right? Like, that's the thought that we have here in our 21st century. But you ever thought about why that is? Uh, Israel was eagerly expecting the arrival of the Messiah, and you would have uh, you would thought that they were prepared to receive him, but they missed him entirely. And before we're too quick to judge the Israelites, I'm reminded of how, uh, it, is it really so different uh, from us here today, that we're supposed to be people of grace, but sometimes maybe we miss the point altogether that we don't experience God's grace, or we don't live out God's grace, or how we're meant to be free as people uh, uh, that are freed by God, but we don't experience this freedom. Or how we're called to find rest in God. But sometimes, I would say, us Christians are the most tired people in the world. <laughs> that in some sense, we're living the opposite of what we believe and what, what, what we're placing our, our, our faith in. And maybe you have this on your computer. You have ad blockers. You know, you have that app or that program you know, that blocks uh, ads from showing up. And, and I think the people of Israel ha- didn't have ad blockers in their system, but they had a faith blocker. In the sense that it blocked ways of them understanding faith or having this faith in Jesus. And I think this will be helpful for us as well. So that one of the f- first faith blockers that they had is that they did not feel a need for salvation. In verse 1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, this is Paul speaking, uh, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. That they didn't have a yearning, a true yearning for salvation. I'm going to go through these points quite quickly because there's, a lot in the text today. But they, they did not feel a need for, for salvation. And when you don't understand God's righteousness and what he has done for you, how he has freed you, you seek to make your own. You seek to make your own righteousness. And when you think you're sufficient, then you don't believe you need salvation because you think you can do it all on your own. So when you think you're sufficient, when you think you can do it all, that's actually a faith blocker from living out this life that God is leading you towards. In verse 2, he says this, For I, tes- I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. That the people of Israel, they were passionate, all right. They're really, really, really passionate, but it was a misplaced passion. They're passionate about all the wrong things. You see, having zeal or having passion is not a bad thing, but having a pa- passion that is not based on knowledge of who God is, a m- can be a bad thing. It is a bad thing. Misplaced passion is a bad thing here, as what Apostle Paul says. And the Israelites were passionate, uh, so passionate, in fact, that they tried to improve upon God's law with the 613 laws that we have, so many of them, and they added more to that even, that they're so passionate about following God that they added more and more and more and focused on the wrong things, and they missed it altogether. And their zeal, their passion, it wasn't driven by knowledge of who God is and a relationship with God, of understanding who God is. It was driven by their own understanding and what they were pursuing. They didn't understand what God has, has done for them. In fact, they were more focused on the task itself, on doing the task itself than what the task is actually all about. 
that I'm going to follow these rules and the rules almost became like a God. That's what they're following. Instead of understanding this is meant to lead me to have a better relationship with, with God, they were passionate about everything else, it seems, except for finding the Messiah, except for seeing Jesus for who he really is. And the Israelites, they were lacking knowledge and misunderstanding of who this God is, and they misunderstood Jesus as the Messiah. And, and, and hear this this morning, that no doubt religious people, as the Apostle Paul uh, highlights here in, in Romans 10, no doubt that they're sincere and devout and passionate. But sincerity and devotion and passion doesn't save you. Hear that. That's really important. Because only Jesus saves. It's only understanding in who he is. It's only a passion placed in God and understanding who he's calling you to be and what he's calling you to do. Only that brings to life. And only Jesus saves. Not what we do and what we can do in our own abilities. It's only in Jesus. Jesus is the one that gives us righteousness. Jesus is the one that saves. Thirdly, we notice in Romans 10, 3, it says this, since they did not know the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own. They tried to work it up themselves. They did not submit to God's righteousness. It's another faith blocker that we see here is that pride and self-righteousness got in the way. That when there's this pride and this self-righteousness, they weren't able to follow and live out their faith for God. So why do we keep living on our, on our own? The answer here is that they haven't submitted. Uh, we haven't submitted. When we don't live, when we live according to our own power and own, own will, it's because we haven't submitted to the righteousness of God. It's one thing to believe in God, but it's another thing altogether to fully submit to him uh, with your whole life, with every fiber of your being. Because self-righteousness, it can be defined as an attempt to establish uh, um, a relationship with God on your own terms. Self-righteousness is the attempt to establish a relationship with God based on your own works, based on your own strength. And maybe for some of you today, you need to decide what kind of righteousness you've been seeking and what kind of righteousness you're going to seek. Is it going to be a righteousness and approval from God himself, or is it from the world and from other things and from the statuses that, that, that the world seems to give us and the accolades that we, we tend to rack up uh, in the view of the world. And whether we're trying to build a righteousness from good works in our own character, it, it matters. Versus, are we trying to build up a righteousness in trusting in Jesus and his salvation? Because that ultimately is what's going to be fulfilling and what's going to give us and fuel us uh, onwards. And what's interesting here is the connection between uh, faith and submission. And I can say a lot more about that, but what we... We see here is that if it seems like when there's a lack of faith, there's a lack of submission as well. That there's a connection between the two. That when you're living faithfully, there's a submitting to God and uh, being under his word and understanding who God is over your lives in, in the everyday, from the moment you wake to when you sleep, that God is Lord, that God reigns, that God is, is sovereign over my life. That when you're living faithfully, you're living under submission to who uh, this God is. So how come the Jews fail to submit to God's righteousness? And, and, and I truly believe this. It's not because they didn't know what to look for. I really think it's because they were too narrowly focused on the wrong thing. This happened to me a, a, a couple of years ago. I was looking for the train, you know, the uh, candle line that splits into the airport and also goes into the rest of Richmond. Uh, this was, well, it's more than a couple of years is when line first opened. 
So I was focused so hard on being on the right train that I missed it all together. I don't know how it happened. Uh, I was like, is this the train? It says it's going to Aberdeen in that right way. But is it really? Is it really in a door closed and the left? Uh, so I missed it all together. I was focused on, on it so hard to be on the right train that I missed it all together. And the train kept going. And I think the people of Israel, that's not a perfect example, but the people of Israel, they're focused on all the wrong things of doing the law and living righteously and perfectly that they missed out. That's all about a relationship. It's all about experiencing this, this Jesus. It's about every single day of, of submitting to his word and living in freedom. That when you're submitting and under the word of God, under who God is, that is the most free you can ever be. That is the most taken care of you could ever be. I want to spend the rest of our time mainly on this last point here, is that the rest of the passage here is really Paul highlighting, highlighting and explaining to us how the Israelites have misunderstood the law altogether. They've misunderstood the law that's been given to them, the purpose of the law, and what the role of the law is in their lives. Because, again, I've said this in the beginning, that the law was meant to be a mirror that reflects their imperfections. It was never meant to prove their perfection. Because they're not perfect. It's meant to reveal the imperfection instead of a way of you striving for perfection. And the key to living with faith in the rest of this passage here is to understand how weak and broken you are. That's the key to faithful living. That's the key to understanding how to experience joy and freedom and, and, and God and have this relationship with him every single day. It's actually to press into this weakness and brokenness that we have. Not, not to, I'm not saying to, to, uh, to sit there and, and, and rejoice in it in the sense that it's really a good thing, but we rejoice in it in the sense that God has redeemed me in those. And I will boast all the more. And, and it's not in a, a false humility kind of way, you know, like telling people you're weak just because it makes you look humble. I'm not saying that way. But a true, genuine recognition that is not by your own abilities in the every single day, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing every day. Because the Apostle Paul says this in, 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 uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, because he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is what? Made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, not because to make myself look humble. It's so that Christ's power may rest on me. That if you want to experience God's power, you want to experience his freedom, you want to experience this relationship that scripture talks so much about, it's actually every day to realize how weak and broken you are. And to come to the cross every single day with that attitude. And I love this. We're only in verse 4. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll, we'll try it with the rest of the time we have. Uh, we'll get through the rest of the text. Verse 4 says this, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. My understanding of this and what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is everything. Every day from the moment you wake, from when you sleep, and the decisions, big and small, Jesus is everything. You want to live a faithful life, you need to understand in our weakness and our brokenness that Jesus is everything, that Jesus is enough. Christ, very specific, not just Jesus, but Christ, the, the Messiah, the, the one that you've been looking for, is the culmination of the law. He's the telos, the end, the realization, the fulfillment, whatever translation you want to use for culmination of the law. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, he has come to 
what, not abolish the law, but to fulfill it, that he lives out the law perfectly. He's perfectly embodying everything that Scripture speaks of, every word of God, that he is it. And Jesus is everything, that he has done everything, so that there'll be a righteousness for everyone who believes. Yet, if we don't understand this, we don't understand how Jesus is everything, then we're going to keep striving. We keep striving for our own righteousness. We keep striving with our own abilities. We keep striving with our own strength and our own understanding when Jesus has done it all already for us to make a way for us to experience this freedom. And since Jesus is the end point of everything, the question we need to ask this morning is, is your life trending towards that? Like, is your life trending towards Jesus? I know we're not perfect. Every single day we have our ups and downs in a relationship with God. It could be rocky depending on the season that we're at. But is your life trending towards Jesus? In your way of understanding faith, in, in the way that you understand God, in your relationship with others, is it trending towards Jesus? Because he is the end goal. He is the destination. Naturally, we, we start, again, if I tell you, do you have more faith? Like, live out your faith. What does that mean? You think, start thinking, what have we done? We need to do more. What this text is getting to is, where is your heart? Is Jesus in your heart? Is, is he working on your heart? Do you have a relationship with God? Again, Jesus says, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's about the heart. It's not about the, the outside. Is it possible then, I want to ask another question, that just as how the Jews misunderstood the law, and they were too narrowly focused on just living out the law, and that was it. Some of us here today, listening online, are misunderstanding God altogether too. That we've also been focusing on the wrong thing. Is it possible that some of us in our serving and in the busyness of our everyday lives, thinking we're living our lives for Jesus, but in fact, we've missed Jesus altogether? Is that possible? Because if we're not intentional with it, then it is more than possible that we're chasing the wrong thing. And Apostle Paul quotes a whole bunch of passages in the Old Testament here, and mainly from Deuteronomy. And, and this passages Paul quotes is about, it's all about the heart. That's what the passages he's quoting about is about. It's about the inward condition of our heart, not just the outward expression of it. It's the inward uh, condition of your heart. You know you have this righteousness by faith and not by works when you understand your worth resides from Christ in you. Not in the world and what is saying, what, what's going on, on the outside. It's from the worth that's Christ in you. How, what Christ is doing in here, in your heart, is more important than what's happening outside of you. And we need to check our heart and our way of understanding this. That your why for doing what you do will, will reveal who you're doing it for. That a heart check that we need to do is understand where is your heart? And why is it that you do what you do? That's a good faith check every single day. To check your convictions and check your heart and your understanding. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it really for God and for his glory and his honor? Or is it for my own glory, mask and maybe in a false humility? Am I chasing after God or am I chasing after the ways of the world and, and myself? 
The Apostle Paul says this, continuing in verse 6, but the righteousness that is by faith says this, do not say in your heart who will ascend in heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. There's a reason why you don't need to chase for God out there and chase for righteousness and whatever it is outside of Jesus. It's because God has already come near. God is already in you. What does this passage mean in, in verses 6 to 7? Deut- Deuteronomy 9, Moses warns the people of Israel when they have taken possession of the land God is bringing them to, they're not to think it's because of their own righteousness. Right? It's not because of what they've done or the, because of their, their worth, that the, the way their own abilities that they've been able to conquer the land is purely because of God's justice and God's mercy. And quoting here in Deuteronomy 30, uh, Moses is reminded that God's word, again, it's not because of anything you've done, but he's revealed himself to you because of his grace and his goodness. And he reminds them of God's word and commands them and, and reminds the people of Israel that, you know what, no matter what happens, you don't need to strive anymore because God has come near you. God is in your heart. God is in your life. God is having this relationship with you. You don't need to strive. You don't need to fear. You don't need to chase the ways of the world. God has given you everything you need because God is in you. God is with you. And for some of you today, it means you don't need to go out and look for God. And we often think like, well, we go to the mountaintops and go into these places. Yes, like we need moments of reflection. But because of what Jesus has done, Jesus has drawn near. God is near. You don't need to go up to the heaven to find, find God because he has come to you. You don't need to go to the, to the depths uh, to, to find Jesus. Jesus is right here if you choose to have a relationship with him. Because Jesus is always there. He's always speaking. He's always right beside you and in you and surrounding you. And this means you don't need to strive and look for significance when the significance and the worth is in you already. Meant to feel you and empower you to live through every day. Verse 8, what does it say? The word is near you. How near? It's in your mouth and in your heart. That's how close it is. And because of that, because of what God is doing in your heart, that you can live out verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess with your profess your faith and are, and are saved. It is because you're saved, this is important, it's because you're saved that you can respond. It is because God has revealed himself to you that you can respond. Your response doesn't save you. Again, it's not, it's not your own abilities and because you've, you've done this or done that that saved you. It's because of what God has done to you that you're able to response, respond to salvation. Respond to God's call in your life. And in the same way, Paul is saying to what, just like how Moses was speaking to the Israelites, Paul is saying to us now, and this is what God is saying to us now, that God has brought the word close to you, to everyone, to the Jews and Gentiles, so that everyone might, might know him. He's done this through his son, Jesus, for you and for me. And all it takes is a response in faith and obedience. Since Jesus is near, we need to respond. And that is the next step. And I think that is a crucial step that many of us are missing. We need to respond. There's a response when dead people come to life. 
There is a response when Jesus raises someone from the dead. There's a response when Jesus heals whoever it is that he heals in all scripture. There is a response and there's a call to respond for us as well as the people of God if you have experienced this relationship with Jesus. We respond with our mouths by confession, by, by, by confessing that he is Lord. There's a response with our hearts by declaration. We declare that that, that he has been risen from the grave, that he is alive today. There's a response with our lives through action as well. That's why we sing. That's why we serve. That's why we love our neighbors. That's why we go and, and serve people all around us. There's a response to this new life that we, that we have. As scripture says, Paul continues, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That our role today as the church is to go and proclaim this to everyone that would hear, that they will call on the name of the Lord. But in order for us to call others to call on the name, we first must call on the name of the Lord ourselves that we need to call on the name of the Lord. And this call upon or calling on the Lord is in, in the secular Greek in that day is an understanding of asking for assistance. That we're meant to ask for assistance from God. And the question I have for us is that when was the last time you called on the Lord? And I don't mean this in a way of God bless my food or help me with my homework or start my car, you know. I'm saying in the really deep way of calling on the name of the Lord as if your life depended on it. Because I think that attitude and that understanding shakes our faith, and it shapes our faith. And it, it changes our church and our understanding of who God is. This calling on the name of the Lord. And don't make light of that, that we need to call on God and understand his name the beautiful name of Jesus, understand the power that he has in our lives, that we need to depend on him. And when was the last time you called on his name as if your life really depended on it, as if your soul depends on it, because it does? You call the name of your Lord in your relationship. You call the name of your Lord for your marriage. You call the name of the Lord for purpose and meaning where you're down on your knees and you're saying, God, I need you. God, I need you to show up in my life. And there's a promise in scripture here that if you call on the name of the Lord, if you understand that, if there's humility in you, that you acknowledge your brokenness and your weakness, that you will be saved. You will experience the presence and the closeness of God. And this salvation permeates all of our humanity, every aspect of our being. It doesn't matter what storm may come. It doesn't matter the trials you go through. It doesn't matter even if you lose your life and death has taken your body you will continue on with God, that you will be saved. You will experience the salvation in God. And that is good news, that there is freedom and there is life for those of us today that are having trouble experiencing this, that we have to put our faith in God because I think this is true, that many of us have not experienced the goodness of God. It's truly because we haven't called on the name of God in the everyday, that we did it so, so long ago and we've forgotten, we've called on something else. Whenever we're in trouble, we're, we call on Google. 
We search that up. You know, what am I supposed to do in my life? Google. How about calling on God? I think he knows. I think he is the best source there is possible. And that's why, and I know I'm not going to do this next part justice at all. In verses 14 all the way to 21. That's why Paul says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach, which means proclaim, by the way, not just someone doing whatever it is up here, <laughs> but proclaiming a proclamation, being a herald of God's good news. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful. Another translation for beautiful. It's actually timely. That when you bring the good news, when you follow God and you live faithfully, and when you bring his word, there's a perfect timing in that. How timely are the feet, are those who bring good news. That what if we lived every day in this faith, that God has appointed you to do what you're going to do for the day, in those conversations that you're going to have, and the people that you're going to meet. And this is the attitude we need to have when we go out and tell the world. And Paul here asked four very uh, rhetorical questions, basically saying that the word won't get out, or this is the way that God use, uh, proclaims his word, is through people. And he asks these four rhetorical questions that people can't be saved if they don't believe, and they don't believe if they, if they haven't heard. And, and if they haven't heard, how can they hear if no one preaches? And how can someone preach? How can someone share and proclaim the good news if they haven't been sent? And all of us are sent, and all of us are meant to proclaim this into the world, that our response in faith is to bring this out as well. That is our way of knowing whether we truly understand how good God is in our lives, is if whether we want other people to experience this as well. Verse 16, 17, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. I'll say this. It needs to be about the word. Everything we do needs to be about the word. It needs to be coming from the word, our understanding of the word, because this is the way that God reveals, has revealed himself to us. It can't be about anything else. And what I mean by that is it can't be just about how we feel and what we think is best. It has to be from the word because the word of faith has to be preached. The word of Christ has to be heard. It's the word that must be understood, not what I think. And I hope you won't misunderstand this, that whenever anyone comes to preach the word on this platform, I don't care if you think, if you understand what I think or care about what I think. It's not about what I think. It's about what the word says. It's about what God is saying through the word. And this is important for us that when you go on, and I've been discouraged as well, you think, well, why aren't people coming to, into a relationship with God whenever we open up the word of God, when we do a Bible study, when I share, why is it? And Paul answers this by saying, did they hear? They did hear. But the missing ingredient, the missing factor is faith. That you can preach, you can share, there can be perfect understanding of every doctrine there is, but if there is no faith, 
they don't truly understand. And that is the same call for us this morning. That have you responded with faith? And not trusting in yourself, but trusting in Jesus every single day. Have you been living in this faith, in this understanding of who God is? A few applications as I'd like to end this, this morning. Romans, for me, every time I read through the book of Romans, and maybe many parts of Scripture, it's like drinking water from a fire hose, right? It's so much. You're just blown away by the Word of God. And I hope and I'm praying that as we're going through the book of Romans, that God is reshifting and replacing the important foundations of our faith and understanding of who you are. Maybe this morning, there have been some misunderstanding for you what the Christian faith is, and he's tearing that apart and, and placing and rebuilding that back in you. Don't run away. Okay, press into that and listen to him and be like, God, where have I gone wrong? I need to repent. I need to understand you. I need to come back to you once again. And maybe that's an action item for you today. What are some ways that I have misunderstood who this God is? For some of you, maybe you have been striving for righteousness by works. So the reason you've been doing whatever it is that God has called you to do in your work, at church, in church ministry, the way you're serving, the way you're living out your life, that you've been doing this for your sake of your own righteousness, for what other people think of you, instead of worrying about what God thinks of you. And this is the point where you need to come before the cross and say, God, I've gone wrong in that way. I need to come back to you. I want this righteousness by faith. I need to trust in you again. I have this faith in you, not in what the, word, uh, what the world says. Maybe this morning you too narrowly focus on something. And you're missing out on a relationship with Jesus. I'm not sure what that is. But for you, it's, you're thinking this is really, really, really important. But when in the bigger scheme of things of our lives and our relationship with God, it actually doesn't matter all that much. And you need to lay that before God and let that go and have a relationship with God once again. And lastly, some of you need to, instead of counting your strengths, you need to count your weaknesses this morning. And you need to rejoice in that and press into that and declare that Christ is going to be sufficient in those weaknesses and you need to live out your weaknesses more instead of your strengths. You want to understand what that means? Have a conversation with me afterwards. But the weaknesses God has given you, maybe that's the best gift he has given you to understand how you can't do it on yourself. You need to depend on him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you, God, for the work you're doing in our lives, that through the book, through the letter to the Romans, God, you're rebuilding our faith understand help rebuilding our understanding what it means by faith and god i pray that we will be a faithful generation that we'll be a faithful people that lives out your word and your call in our lives father we lay down ourselves we lay down our own pride we lay down what we think is best and we follow your word this morning we submit under your word we submit under the power of the cross knowing god that you have done all things and that you are sufficient in all things so God, thank you for your call in our lives. And may we just be a faithful people, God, that this displays your goodness to the world. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. That we have done nothing to earn it, but you have done everything to give it to us. So Father, we say yes to you again this morning. We say, God, starting today again, we choose faith, we choose to trust. In the name of Jesus, amen.